Well, folks, you might be wondering, that is an interesting title. Is it really the case that Verstappen has become the best? Is it really the case that Mercedes have become second best? At the Mexican GP, we saw something very interesting. And what is that something very interesting? That is the purpose of this episode of the Mexican GP review on the Inside Line of One podcast and Fits the Podium. And my name is Somal Arora. I will be joined by the former marketing head of Force India, Kunal Shah, and he's also working as a motorsport consultant at the VS Sport Network. And so, to know what we're going to talk about in this episode, stick around. It's going to be fun. Hey folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch the Podium. Welcome along. It's time for our Mexican GP review. It's a bit late. Again, time zones are a thing because Mexico is way too late. But it's it's good that we're able to get to do this podcast episode and this video episode as well, finally, before, of course, the next race week begins. And we asked a very interesting question in the title, Kunal. We were discussing, is Verstappen clearly the best now? Is Mercedes clearly second best right now? Uh, after the Mexican GP, where Hamilton clearly was not quite able to uh, get past Max and was actually competing with Sergio, one might wonder about that. We will get to that in a second. But about the race on the whole canal, a, a good weekend, perhaps? A, a really entertaining one? I don't think the race added that sort of fiesta and the colour as the fans did in the stand. So how would you rate the race? I Well... If I was a Mexican fan, I probably yep. would race the would rate the race eleven on ten, right? But since I wasn't in Mexico, I wasn't watching the race. I was watching it in a television studio uh, <laughs> in the cold city of Oslo, uh, you know, which I absolutely love. Uh, I would say the race. I would say the race could have done without lap sixty-two to lap sixty or thereabouts. You know, it was it was a, it was again a very uh, classic formula one race that depended so heavily on race strategy right and you know i loved what max verstappen did he was able to slingshot both mercedes cars i also loved what lewis hamilton did i mean if the red bull cars were the quickest uh you know around the streets of mexico uh, or at the circuit of the mexico city yeah. right he would have best managed a p3 but he still managed a p2 so you know Lewis takes heart in the fact that he started second and finished second. And to answer the key question, that's also the title of our episode. And, you know, guys, Samuel and I were discussing this over and over for the last couple of hours. And mm. I was thinking, you know, if we asked this question on the Saturday after qualifying, we would have been like, oh, my God, it's Mercedes who is the favorites. Yeah. And similarly, if we asked the question after Turkey, like we all did, it was like, okay, Mercedes is clear favorites, right? But of course, Red Bull made a fantastic comeback. Max Verstappen drove a brilliant race. He was, you know, being a strategist. He was bringing his gamesmanship. He yeah. was, you know, he, he was he was chilling. And he was, he was, you know, he was, he was driving. He was like on a Sunday leisure drive, if I may put it like that. But yeah, I still haven't answered your question. Is it? Max Verstappen, who's a favorite? Yes, based on the Sunday, he's a favorite. Based on Saturday, clearly based on the whole weekend, I would say it's not over yet. We are still going to see form swinging <clears throat> between both the drivers and the teams. And that's what's going to keep us entertained throughout, I would say, Samuel. But I don't think you can take anything away from Lewis, can you? Uh, I think his performance throughout the weekend was quite good. Again, did what he had to in qualifying 
And even in the race, well, I wouldn't completely blame the start on him because, of course, Max was in the prime position. Slipstreaming was a thing. And we will discuss if Bottas could have done something different. Again, that is something we're going to get to. But from Lewis's side, Kunal, there was a lot. Uh, I don't know if that radio message was a bluff or not, whether the tyres are not in good condition. But he's able to last it far later than that. His driving, I, I don't recall seeing any major mistakes per se. Even the pace was pretty decent on the whole. So, are Mercedes second best now? Is it the car that's not working as well? And we've seen it happen in two consecutive rounds. But as you rightly mentioned, in Turkey, it was Red Bull being the slower one. The ebbs and flows of this championship, is this just one of these ebbs and flows? Or is Red Bull genuinely much better now? And, and could Mercedes have done something different at this weekend? I would say it's just the regular ebb and flow, Somil. Uh, largely accentuated or exaggerated by the thin air, the altitude that we kept saying would be the buzzword of the weekend. Because the thinner air did not... Uh, help Mercedes is breaking, which is why, for example, on on the opening lap into turn one, Max could break 20 meters later than both the Mercedes cars. Throughout the weekend, Hamilton and Bottas were complaining about how their braking wasn't as efficient as they would like for it to be. So, you know, braking was uh, impacted. Downforce by itself was impacted. You know, you would have heard this over the weekend. Monza levels, lower than Monza levels were down of downforce were delivered by Monaco level of wings. So that was, you know, one of those things. Then the efficiency of the turbocharger, which Mercedes, of course, have worked upon, that was also put under question. So I think it was the altitude that probably helped, uh, you know, uh, Red Bull show such a dominant side. And that's exactly why everybody was so puzzled with Saturday. And Saturday, to me, the qualifying was the clear outlier. And what helped Mercedes at that time? One may wonder, where did the pace just disappear? By my readings, right, Saturday was hotter in terms of track track temperatures than Sunday. And those hotter track temperatures helped Mercedes have better tire preparations than Red Bull Racing. And that's where the difference was. Come Sunday... The, the, te- the temperatures were actually lower. And I, I remember sitting on Lewis Hamilton's uh, radio channel. And before the race, Pete Bonington went on to him on the radio and said, it's a couple of degrees cooler than yesterday. Right. So it was, the, again, you know, all of this hints to one thing of what you and I keep talking each weekend, Samuel, which is thinner, finer margins. It was the temperatures that made the difference. And, you know, come Brazil, there's a sprint race. So there's, even more at stake out there, right? Of course, you'll say, hey, it's just three or two or one point at stake. But the fact is, the last time we had a sprint race, we actually had the two protagonists crash, right? Uh, And imagine we're going into a weekend where there are going to be two races, two race starts, two opening laps, all of that. Brazil, of course, isn't as high in terms of altitude. It's about 800 or 900 uh, meters above sea level, Uh, you know, as opposed to Mexico City, which was 2.300, you know, 2,300. So altitude will come in play, but again, not to that extent as well. So I definitely don't think it's all over. I still think we are going to see that ebb and flow happen pretty much the whole time till we reach Abu Dhabi Samuel. Man, you, you pointed out such a good stat. 
two sprint races, two crashes. I don't know. I, I don't get a good feeling about Brazil. But we'll talk about that when we get to Interlagos. About here, Kunal, we have to discuss why Mercedes couldn't quite challenge. And you rightly mentioned the cooling, the temperatures. It's amazing to see that these finer margins can be the difference. But what if Max was not leading at the end of lap one? And this brings us to the start, right? Uh, lots of uh, lots of pundits, lots of commentators have been heard saying that maybe Bottas should have blocked off the racing line and, and that way Max couldn't have gone across. Again, lap number one, that is before Bottas got taken out. Do you think there is some merit to this point that maybe Bottas... Again, Bottas, he was in his bid apparently to let Lewis pass more fluently, but he, he couldn't quite block off Max Verstappen. Hence why... Max got there, broke later, and got P number one. Do you think there is merit to this point that Bottas should have been slightly more towards the outside? And what if, what if actually, and this could have been something very realistic, what if Max wasn't leading? Would Lewis have been able to survive it from the top as well? That's a very interesting question, Samuel. So actually, you asked too. Firstly, what if Max wasn't leading, right? Uh, at the moment, seeing what Checo Perez did, which was pretty much chase Lewis all race round, it could have very well been that Lewis could have held on despite being in the slower car. That's just down to circuit characteristics. Let's remember that DRS is also less effective in the thinner air as well. And that's also one of the reasons why Checo Perez couldn't really make that much of a move on Lewis Hamilton, even though he was within DRS range for several laps altogether. And we had three DRS zones uh, you know, at, at this circuit, right? So the start was very, very crucial. Right. In fact, both teams knew that, uh, you know, leading at the end of lap one was key to their victory in this race. And that's exactly what Max Verstappen did. So that's that's keeping the start aside. I think it was phenomenal just to see him slingshot by. Um, not often do you see, uh, you know, two Mercedes is overtaken down into one corner. And that's actually what Max Verstappen did right there. Right. So that's one part. The, you know, there's this whole talk of, you know, Toto Wolf and Lewis Hamilton, they turned around and said, you know, we left a sea out there open. Botas could have done different, could have done better. And I think, uh, let's ask the question, right? And I'd love to know your view as well. You've commentated on several hundreds of starts as well, Samuel, right? My feeling is that Valtteri Botas, right, knew that, uh, you know, he is going to he, he had a bad start, firstly. Let's remember that. He had Lewis alongside him. And he knows he's got less than five races. Now he's got four races. If he wants to score any wins in, uh, you know, in his Formula 1 career, based on purely form factor. We don't know if Alfa Romeo will be the quickest cars next season, but just laying it out there. So he got pole, which is great. He's got 19 poles which is, you know, the highest for any driver to have 19 poles or highest for any driver to have those many poles, but not win a world championship. So he's taken that, you know, away from Renny Arnoux. Uh, so he's like, okay, I need to go score a win myself. He made a bad start. Lewis was inside him on the inside, right? And all he wanted to do was probably fend off Lewis Hamilton and keep uh, you know, keep the lead at the start of the race, right? Now, here, you you can ask two questions. Did Mercedes perceive such a strategy, right? And we saw two years ago in Russia, uh, you know, Charles and uh, Sebastian, they had locked out the front row and they actually worked together to keep the Mercedes cars at bay, right? Uh, where Sebastian got the toe from Charles and then took the lead and then 
you know, those things happen. So I don't know if Mercedes discussed such a scenario that, guys, come what may, we've got to keep the Red Bulls behind us. Because, yes, they, they, there could have been ways Botas could have acted a little differently. But in my view, Botas went to cover Lewis Hamilton because he wanted to make sure he kept the lead of the race, which, like I said, was because he knows he's got very few races where he can try and score a win, right? This leads me to the second question. Mercedes would have probably discussed that should Botas be leading the race, he would then need to, at some point, give Lewis the win if Lewis was second and, you know, help Lewis in the Drivers' Championship, right? But the fact is, uh, asking Botas to give up the lead still shows Botas in fantastic light rather than Botas, you know, letting Lewis just drive by himself as though Drew Lewis just overtook him. So that was my reading. Botas was focused so much on Lewis and keeping the lead from Lewis that he forgot that, hey, Max is just sitting short the two of us out there. And that's my very lengthy reading of what happened on turn one, Samuel. Kunal, you say you have a memory of a goldfish. I totally forgot about Russia 2019. That's such a good point. And and now I think about it, it makes perfect sense. Again, classic case, right? Two monkeys fighting over a banana. Third one comes up and takes it away. Only problem is, the two monkeys that were fighting over it were not supposed to fight over it. They, they could have shared it or maybe given the banana to one person. Again, in this case, it could have been Lewis. But it's, it's outrageous that Max just got a free run. And, and maybe P3 wasn't that bad of a position to qualify after all because as you as you pointed out correctly in the preview canal it's the longest one to turn number one and you get this uh, and you get the slipstream again it's like you forecasted it properly absolutely nailed it with that and now that we're on the subject of Valtteri Bottas I've got two questions from our uh, from our viewers and our listeners and they are some amazing ones one from Sahil Ajit Kumar he's asking why always Bottas I think that's in relation to him getting tagged to Daniel Ricciardo. And, and also, there's also something very similar that Akshay Prabhu has asked. He's saying, how expendable has Bottas become? Like, feeling sorry, also feels too less for that guy. And he's got a point. Uh, poor Bottas. One wonders if he could have had more of an influential role had he been there in P number three, maybe fending off Sergio Perez. Maybe, of course, preventing that late Sergio Perez attack. Not that it mattered eventually, apart from the audience. They would have been <laughs> they would have been raising out a huge problem if that would have happened. But they've got a point. Uh, why always bought us? Really unlucky, that opening lap incident there. It, it was. It was actually a very unlucky opening lap incident. You know, so Daniel Ricciardo uh, messed up his opening lap. He joined wherever last with damage, etc., and then Ricardo sort of kept him behind for 40 or 50 or laps or something to that effect as well. And then Botas had a slow stop and all those things. And then, uh, you know, Max, of course, played very, very good gamesmanship. And Botas went to take the point of the fastest lap uh, away from him, right? So to to me, it was just it was just Valtteri Botas. And we've seen how it's been. You know, he, he's, he can be phenomenally good. But the bad luck is usually towards Botas's side of the garage. And... Again, I'm not saying it's Mercedes doing things. These are things that, you know, nobody can control. But it was just that. And one also has to ask this question or discuss this point about Botas Sommel. And I'd love for you to, you know, jump into this one as well. Is We know Botas is on his way out. I mean, it was announced in Monza and he's been on fire since then. And Botas has been beaten fair and square by Lewis pretty much every, not pretty much every single season they've been together. Maybe he's got some deep down inside motivation to see Lewis beaten. 
God knows, you know, and and so that's one. And then, of course, what Bota spinning has also done is it's closed down the gap between Red Bull and Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship as well to just one point. So, you know, there was this scenario where we all thought that Red, uh, Max would win the Drivers' Championship and, and uh, you know, Mercedes would take the Constructors' Championship. But clearly, it just shows when we discuss form factor that one race, one incident, and boom, you could just see things turn around. And just to expand on that thought further, what if Ricardo took Lewis Hamilton out? You know, Max exactly. would have had... Yeah, Max would have had like 25 points on Lewis, which would have become 37 points or whatever. I mean, various scenarios. And that's why, you know, with Brazil, two opening laps, two starts, you never know what could happen there. That's such a good point. That is such a good point. What if it had been Lewis? Yeah, stuff just happens. Seriously, stuff just happens in that case. Really, Valtteri was there at the wrong place at the wrong time. And folks, if you heard something in the background, it's it's totally okay, right? Uh, uh, Kunal has... I wouldn't call her a newborn, but yeah, he, he's got this really cute baby at his place. So it's normal, right? Life of a parent, totally okay. I don't think you'd mind that. But the point is, Bottas and that penalty. I think Toto Wolf has every right to be infuriated that it wasn't a penalty, Kunal. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, for me, of course, at least from my very privileged view of my beautiful little chair in the hotel room, I would say it's a racing incident, but clearly, if you've got your money on the line, if you've got, say, Constructors' Championship points on the line, as Toto Wolf genuinely has, he has every right to be infuriated. And do you think that was a racing incident? Do you think that was a penalty? You know, the strange part for me, Samuel, even more so, is that it wasn't even investigated, right? Uh, it was, it was, it was like just brushed across. And you know, somebody tweeted out to me on Twitter earlier this morning saying. Uh, Ricardo was, of course, charging down. Ricardo was trying to get the place from Checo Perez. And then what happened is Botas just swerved and turned right, which that's what you anticipate. If you're going and making a move on the inside, you expect the driver on the outside to sort of, you know, cover cover his or her position. And was Ricardo, you know, side by side to Botas? No, of course not. So the angle of impact that sort of happened made me believe, at least from all the overhead replays and the onboard replays that I saw that, you know, it was uncharacteristic of Ricardo. Of course, the whole Ferrari versus McLaren uh, battle probably bogged him down as well. You know, not bogged, but, you know, it adds pressure, especially at a time when you are the four, you're probably the slowest of the four drivers in that battle in, in the case of Ricardo. So it was uncharacteristic. And I think I think they should have at least investigated it, or I'm sure maybe they did, but they didn't really put it out for an official investigation. And and that, to my mind, was a bit of a surprise, Samuel. Yeah, that was that. And also, we will get to McLaren versus Ferrari in a second. That is a very essential pointer that we must discuss. But before going down that road, let's go down the road of the home hero, Sergio Perez, Kural. Uh, and, and there is this... Change in tone of my voice because it's Mexico. You see the celebrations. You see him being carried around on his shoulders. And, and there's this lovely meme that's been trending for years, actually, on the internet of the podium sitters. Three, uh, It's an athletics meet, basically, where the top two is standing on the podium. There's somebody in a blue jacket celebrating, spraying champagne, kissing the girls, having a good time. But that's P3. <laughs> and the top two are looking like, uh, what is this guy doing here? I'm sure you've all seen it. That happened, of course, this week, and, and rightfully so. This is Sergio's moment in Mexico City. So many people 
cheering for him. I think 392,000 people at the circuit. Outrageous. But with that said, we've spoken about that and we expected that to happen. But the question is, Kunal, could Red Bull have done something different in this case? Maybe could that charge have been a bit more serious at the end? Or was it just a whole matter of, oh, car cooling, it's too inefficient to get too close and stuff like that? Have we been robbed? Or rather, did we get robbed of a, a very good finish by aspects like that? You know, the question Red Bull would probably be asking themselves is, what if they had used the undercut to get Perez ahead of Hamilton at that point of time, right? And they, of course, used Perez to keep all the pressure that they could on on uh, Lewis and to sort of try and mess his strategy up, which they did. So I was a bit puzzled as well because, you know, when Hamilton came, uh, you know, Hamilton uh, came out of the pits, he was stuck behind Charles Leclerc at that point for, I think, at least one or two laps, right? So to my mind, maybe they should have done that. But they were probably just happy to build on Verstappen's win. They wanted to make sure that they cover Max's win uh, rather than aim for a, a you know a one to finish, they knew that they would rather put Lewis under pressure with with Checo on a different tire strategy and the likes, uh, and, you know, than than sort of uh, just get the jump on him when they could. Maybe in hindsight they would think differently, and they thought maybe they had enough of an advantage to try and get that position from Lewis on track, right? And uh, Personally speaking, I think Checo Perez did fantastic when he was chasing Lewis down. Uh, you know, he was pretty consistent in the in the last four laps of the race. Literally, won nineteen point eight all four laps that he pulled that off. And eventually, uh, you know, they just wanted to make sure that they they secure Max's win uh, from Lewis than to try and get a one to finish. Uh, that's my reading of the situation, Samuel. Got to love it. And that was very interesting by Red Bull about them holding it off. But yeah, that was that. Hopefully it could have been better, but we've got a few more opportunities. But let's talk about Ferrari for a second. Oh, by the way, before Ferrari, there was another good finisher. Manav Sada has sent in a really good comment and he is always so active with us. Love it, love it. Thank you for listening, mate. He said, Giga Gasly, told you he's a dark horse. And he was, Kunal. P4, amazing drive. I think it is slightly overshadowed by the drama we saw by Ferrari at the end. But a quick word on him. How good was he? I'm glad we are mentioning Gasly because he was, you know, literally uh, ignored by the TV cameras pretty much out there. And, uh, you know, the interesting that Gasly's put out, of course, is his pace was so uh, good and so strong that he thought he might just get involved in the whole Red Bull battle at the Mexico uh, <coughs> Grand Prix as well. So, to me, he drove fantastic to be in P4. Uh, he's had, a, you know, he, the last three, four races, he's not had the best of race finishes. He's had some bad luck as well. And with his performance, uh, you know, Alpha Tauri are now equal in points to Alpine, which is a bit of an embarrassment for Alpine, given that they are a constructor team. And Alpha Tauri is a Red Bull B team, as we know it, right? So I, I personally think Gasly drove a fantastic race. The Ferraris just couldn't touch him. Even though, you know, Ferrari's main competitors were McLaren, it just, you know, Alpha Tauri and Gasly just slipped by. And they attacked Gasly with two different strategies. Like, you know, Charles put it out there. Charles said he put it earlier and, and Carlos went in longer uh, to try and attack Gasly with two different strategies. But the truth is they just couldn't get nowhere close to him. And that's why the whole swap 
happened between the Ferrari drivers on track and then the swap back as well, Samal. And it's interesting we mentioned Ferrari, actually. Uh, that was exactly what Aditya Ji was asking. Why did that swap between Leclerc and Sain happen? Exactly that reason. And the same question was posed to us by I Know F1 as well about what was happening at Ferrari. That is what was happening at Ferrari. Well explained, Kunal. Uh, as always, as I can say, thankfully. But the part is, Ferrari 18 points, McLaren only won this weekend. With that, Kunal, McLaren are now fourth. And Ferrari... They have got a big gap on them, I think around 13.5 points. So all things considered, this is something that the GP Prediction League would have predicted way back in the middle of the season when they said that Ferrari would have the upper hand because it's not just one, but it's two drivers delivering for them. And yes, even though Daniel Ricciardo has, of course, been on the better side of form since then, Ferrari bought their drivers incredibly consistent, even though they had to do that swap around. My word! They were just outclassing McLaren this time out. They were. And, you know, for everyone who's missing uh, Sundaram and his stats review, there are two stats that he sent to us, right? The first stat is, of course, in the last five races in Mexico, Ferrari scored 127 points, while McLaren have scored just six Right, So Mexico has been a stronghold for Ferrari per se, at least based on historic you know, evidence. And you yeah. can, of course, argue this point both ways, saying back then, you know, McLaren were with uh, the Honda and the Renault engines and the likes, but it's just history. It's just a stat. And then, of course, the second, which sort of takes me back to Bottas, even though we moved on from there, there yeah. is something that is called the pole sitter's curse at Mexico. So in 2017, Sebastian Vettel had pole, but he did not win or get the podium. 2018, it was Ricardo. 2019 was Charles Leclerc. And 2021 was Valtteri Bottas. And in fact, I'm going to add to this stat. In 2019, Lewis Hamilton won from P3. And in 2021, it was Max Verstappen who won from P3. Sommel, right? But yes, coming back to Ferrari, 13 and a half points. Pretty, pretty awesome, you know, given all the upgrades and the likes. And I think this is, again, going to be a battle that's going to go down to the wire. It's not over yet. It was circuit uh, exaggerated is what my reading is, Samil. Ah, amazing. Another reason why the season finale is going to be absolutely awesome. But, Kunal, finally, before we wrap off, we have to discuss Antonio Giovinazzi's race. I mean, his start was amazing, but by the end, (laughs) there were some tensions between him and the team. That's for sure. And I love it. I love that at least this is giving Alfa Romeo Sauber some spotlight after the Andretti deal, but not sure if it's the best and most healthy working environment. It's not. And, you know, Kimi Raikkonen doing what he did. But I must say, I am totally with Giovinazzi to try and figure happened there so you know he of course was sarcastic when he told the team thanks for the great strategy and that's what everyone's been laughing about and given what he said he's probably on his way out and maybe he is otherwise you know he would have been announced several races ago right but i you know i was working with nityanand one of our you know uh buddies in the whole pits to podium gang that that there is and uh, Gio Vinazzi made up five positions on the opening lap. He was suddenly in the top 10 and then he finished P11. So he has all rights to question what actually happened there with his you know, race strategy. 
And similarly, there's another driver we should also speak about, George Russell. Russell made up more positions than any other driver on the grid. He made up seven positions on that opening lap, right? And he had a penalty as well, right? And Russell struggled with so much grip that he and Nicholas Latifi both said we had literally no grip throughout the whole weekend. So, you know, two drivers who made some great, uh, you know, opening laps, but just couldn't make their form factor last because of various package-related reasons throughout the course of the 71 race, Sommel. Seriously. Yeah, maybe not a good week to be a Russell, whether in, in cricket or the world of Formula 1. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a bit strange to see Williams like this. But I'm sure I'm sure the coming few races will be better because, of course, Russell's last few races for Williams' amazing journey this but we'll wait and watch and we'll be back for the Brazilian GP preview rather soon on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pitch to Podium. So be right here. And folks, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching this episode. As you know, if you like this one, you know what to do, right? You don't need to be told about that. So do all that good stuff. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being a part for, of this episode, Kunal. See you soon, guys. And stick around. We'll be getting the Brazilian GP preview rather soon. Bye-bye.